Recorded live. Good evening. Welcome to the October 1st, 2016 edition of Daily Talk, Researcher 135's Community Call, with your host, Rich Bernardo. This evening we're going to be talking about politics 2016, election 2016. Dan Patrick of Tampa, Florida will be the guest tonight, and we will be discussing the recent presidential debate and the upcoming ones, of course, between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. We'll be talking about other issues, too, that are prevalent and pressing in our society, the civil unrest that's occurred in different cities, the preoccupation of today's youth with handheld devices, whether it's the new iPad or Galaxy or some sort of Apple device, all of these different things that uh, games, music, everybody's locked into, even this Pokemon game that uh, so many people are locked into walking around and playing. Total distraction, total addiction, literally dropping out of society into a form of escapism. And we've seen it for 20 years already with uh, the video games, you know, whether it was PlayStation or Xbox or whatever it was. And then online video games, of course, it followed suit. But now everybody's addicted to being on their handheld device almost 24-7. Any of the designer phones or any of the other little gadgets that you can carry around and do all these different things on. So even getting to where it has been for a while, you can just simply swap your phone in many cafes to pay for your food. and Everybody wants everything instantly. Uh... We have the instant gratification generation who are trained from birth to be mindless capitalist consumers. Good evening, Dan Patrick of Tampa, Florida. Hey, Rich. How you doing? Good evening to yourself and everybody else out there. How's it going? I'm doing great. How about you, Dan? Pretty good, pretty good. It's a quiet night here in St. Petersburg, Florida, Tampa Bay area. A little warm, but I like it that way. I'm happy. Um, just trying to, to do some research this afternoon, thinking about the world and the news. And uh, I know we discussed a, some, somewhat of a rant maybe. But, you know, it, it, it kind of the news was kind of slow today. Some of the uh, – so I, I wanna, I'd like to revisit a topic. I don't think we've talked about. It's been happening the last couple of months. I'm, uh, I'm yeah. fairly disgusted with it. Uh, Let's revisit it, Absolutely. Uh, this is the 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 uh, what's happening with the uh, NFL football players not standing for the national anthem, uh-huh. and I, I have I have a big problem with that. Um, I, I think the play and something is I don't know anybody out there has ever been to an NFL football game live. It's one of the most exciting, one of the most glamorous feeling things in the world. You know, especially. You know, on a nice fall day, crisp fall day, and um, absolutely, it's just breathtaking. You know, spectacle with the cheerleaders and the band. And I, I'm from Washington D.C. I'm a big Redskin fan, and there used to be old Robert F. Kennedy Stadium, and it, it literally would shake when you know the Redskins were within the ten yard line. You know, and you'd think it was going to fall down on top of it. And people are just rabid football fans. It's an all-American sport, and. It's and to me, that makes it an all-American privilege to play in that, that league, you know, the national. It's called the National Football League. And there's the National Football Conference and the national, the American Football Conference, not the Syrian Football Conference, uh, not the Russian Football Conference, but the American Football Conference and the national. Absolutely, absolutely. And we've got this man in San Francisco, and I don't even I know his name is Colin. I don't even really want to give him any more press than he deserves. And he decided that he was going to stand, you know, for the national anthem. Now, he he has quite a privileged history. of What I, I, I read about him was kind of a really lucky character. I think he was adopted, if I'm not mistaken. He's a biracial man. It was adopted by a white couple that loved him to death and made sure that he, he played football and and got all the things that he needed in his childhood. And uh, and he's making quite a bit of money with the NFL. And his 
his, uh, I guess, the way he returns the favor is by absolutely disrespecting the American flag and national anthem and everything it stands for. And and that's what that's about. Because when you don't stand... I'm not mistaken. He's tying his protests in with the recent police shootings of black men around the country, or at least that's that's his alleged reason for the protests. Yeah, and, you know, and there's other people copycatting him now. And and the one thing that distressed me the most was that I saw that in Washington State, an entire football team, college or high school football team, had – had emulated him by taking a knee during the uh, anthem. And I was very distressed by that. You may have seen in the news recently, too, where the two guys who protested with the uh, Black Panther symbol with their fists in the air at the 1968 Olympics and who were you know, kicked off at the time and, and were basically sort of <laughs> ostracized by the Olympic Committee for some 20, 30 years. Uh, they were in President Obama's uh, White House recently, and there was a reception, and basically they're sort of being welcomed back into the fold. You know, well, you know, you, you guys did a valid protest. It wasn't appreciated or recognized at the time, et cetera, et cetera. So there's sort of a, a revisionism going on with, with that even, and they're comparing this to that, at least in that one news story that I was seeing. And you're talking about the, in the 1960s, I think some some mm-hmm. uh, black African Americans won um, some gold medals in track and field and that sort of thing, right? If you're not, is that what you're talking that, about? That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I remember that as a child. I was actually in uh, grade school, I think, when that happened, and uh, it was uh, <laughs> uh, it, it didn't go over well in America at all. It actually was considered right. a really a tragedy, you know. And, and I would think that this current protest is not going over well with uh, with most Americans. I'd like to think most people are still patriotic enough that it would uh, would not go well with them. But who's to say these days? How can you how can you sympathize or or feel any empathy for a man that's making over ten fifteen million dollars a year playing doing something that most people little boys grow up dreaming of doing? And so many people try and fail, and they get up to the college level, they get up to the high school level, and, you know, one by one they're weeded out. Until, and then there's that one guy in $20 million that makes it to the big show, the big leagues. And then um, not only that, as a quarterback, you know, which is all, usually the center of attention. And it shows such disrespect and such ingratitude for the things that that has been given to him by the freedom of fighters for this country, for the for the young men that never got a chance to stand on the sidelines or make a decision whether they're going to stand or or sit during the national anthem. You know, those guys, the kids coming back with their their leg, you know legs blown off. We've got a different kind of war in the Middle East and Afghanistan and Iraq, and you know a lot of it consists of like bombs that are timed for these Humvees to drive over, and so you're getting a lot of kids coming back without their limbs. I live right around Bay Pines uh, Veterans Administration Hospital, and there's a lot of that going on. They've they got a lot of people over there getting, uh, you know, fitted with artificial legs and, and, and arms and stuff like that. And actually, the movie Winter about the dolphin that had a prosthetic tail uh, was shot here in Pinellas County, Florida. And they're, they're seen shot at the Veterans Administration around the corner from me. And you see these kids, and they're playing basketball. You know, and they don't have any legs, and they're they're playing for fun, you know, because that's all that's left for them. And here's this guy; he's got all his legs, arms, eyes, and you know, he's showing such disrespect. And then, then other people are like picking up on it, and it's just getting really out of and it's getting out of hand. I think last Sunday, you know, even a couple of Redskins put did the Black Power sign while the while the anthem was playing, and um, I'm really disappointed in some of these people. And, you know, um, I think it's something that that Americans should be upset about. I think it's one of the things that we have a right, you know, especially people that have lost family and friends in the war, recent wars and wars past. Dan, what did you take away from the first presidential debate? Um, how did you think that shook out? 
You know, that that's a, a good question. I, my impression was it's kind of lame. I, I really, well, well one, I, I thought that Donald Trump was being set up as a patsy. I, I don't think it's relevant to a presidential debate uh, on how he made his money, who gave him his money. Uh, I don't think it's relevant. Actually, the man uh, is going through uh, an audit for his taxes like he does every year. Uh, he's, uh-huh. he's he's not, I wouldn't call him a target, but because he makes so much money and his corporations and his organizations make so much money that the IRS, I, I don't so, see so much as an audit looking for suspicious activity, but an audit looking for mistakes on either side, the government or his, to prevent overages or underages of, of potentially millions of dollars. So, so somebody that accounts for that kind of money you know, being changing hands and, and 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 going through, you know, different channels in, in America, it, it has to be watched very closely, because even a small mistake could account for hundreds of thousands of dollars of of money going somewhere where it shouldn't go, one side or the him or or the government. So you know, he's got a right to say, look, you know, any sane, no sane person shows the public. There are tax returns while the IRS is currently auditing. This is not, it wasn't relative. You know, how he felt about the Iraq war as a civilian, as just a regular guy like you and I with an opinion 12 or 13 years ago and related to a friend of his personally is irrelevant to the election. And, you know, the fact of the matter is Hillary actually was a sitting senator, I believe, and voted to go into Iraq uh, as uh, in a warlike effort effort and and Donald Trump just uh, he just uh expressed an opinion that he thought maybe it's a good idea he wasn't even sure at that and you know they're 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 like we're pulling that out and jumping up and down about that and I I thought just I was very just disturbed and I thought it was a disgusting kind of show of of uh of uh I guess you know uh, one-sidedness towards Hillary Clinton and it still didn't look good. She still didn't. It didn't make her look any good. Huh? You know, uh, I felt like he was treated unfairly. There's evidence now that his mic was t- tampered with. Uh, there's evidence that she had an earpiece and a device that was potentially uh, uh, shooting her up with some sort of medicine because she is still a sick person. You know, I've seen pictures of, of uh, her from the back that night, and she had a device of some sort strapped to her back, uh, you know, all these things, and I didn't take away a lot from it. You know, they got into a lot of senseless arguments. I didn't hear a lot of, uh, I didn't hear a lot of stuff that, about what they're going to do as president and what they can and can't do. I mean, I maybe that a lot of that, some of that came out, but I, I thought a lot of it was petty pettiness, petty mm-hmm. argument. And, you know, uh, you know, Donald Trump, he's he's the chief executive. I mean, he's the real deal. He's a businessman. He's the boss with everything he does. And he's not used to being pushed around. And so, unfortunately, he doesn't take it very well. And I I saw him several times while uh, the man Lester, Lester is his name, Lester Holt, you know, fed Hillary uh, questions that she could lie with impunity and him going, no, it's not right. Wait, wait, that's not right. And and him being stopped by the the moderator, Mr. Trump, it's her two and a half. You know, and she's just lying away, and, and he's just he's getting very upset. He could get a little hot under the collar because he's a man of truth. You know, he doesn't want to hear a bunch of lying, and, and especially not on national television. You know, I, I think he could use a little bit better. He could probably try to be a little more diplomatic and, and maybe not show how, how badly that makes him feel when people lie straight up about him in, in public. But uh, that was, I think that was the point. Was to make him try to make him look like somebody that's off the cuff and and not capable of running the United States. And I, I did love the one he said, I'll, "I'll against my attorney's advice, I'll release my tax re- returns." And that and he goes, and, it, and it's it's financial suicide to do that during an audit. But I'll release I'll release these tax returns against my attorney's advice, which he releases the thirty three thousand emails she deleted. Mm-hmm. And I think it was one, of, and the audience started to really go off the hook, and Lester shuts shuts them right away. He said, "Now, now, now, you, you know, you all signed an agreement to not, you know, express any any uh, 
you know, enthusiasm one way or another, you know, or, or something, making any sort of, so I guess the crowd has been told that, that they're not to applaud or, you know, uh, side with one one uh, person or another's uh, particular speech during the debates. And uh, he, he, he reminded the crowd that it wasn't appropriate to cheer what Donald had just said about the, the 33,000 uh, deleted emails. And, and I'm very concerned about that myself because you have to you have to wonder what sort of state secrets what sort of underhanded deals she is in the in the Obama administration and the secretary of, as secretary of defense she's been involved in with uh, hostile foreign countries like Iran uh and Donald's right how could you have made a deal with you know with one of one of the most biggest enemies of America ever in the history of the, the last 20th century and first 20th century, uh, um, you know, if we we go back and we we think about the, you know, everybody's starting to say Jimmy Carter is now the second worst president in the history of the United States. Well, he's the one that let Iran run all over. If people forget the Ayatollah, you know, they wanted to burn America. They held people hostage, and uh, as a result, it held the United States economy and everything else hostage for. For I think 444 days, if I'm not mistaken, that's the number mm-hmm. of days. I'm and uh, these people are deadly enemies of America and a, and a free life, and they're also Christian haters, and they also be, still believe in beheading and and uh, cutting off the hands of people for doing things that they don't believe is in their within their religion. And uh-huh. the Obama administration gave them 400 million dollars. Maybe more. I think Donald said it's more like 1.7 billion, and nuclear, you know, more more help with their nuclear program. Now, if you believe that the Iranians are looking for nuclear programs just to like uh, light up their towns, you 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 you've got some serious uh, naivety going in. And, you know, you probably still believe in Easter Bunny and, and cartoons and stuff. I mean, it, well, they, they don't, don't want. They don't want Dan Patrick, we have a, a question in the chat room from okay. a listener. So someone who's called everybody knows that's their nickname, and they say, "Why is Iran supposedly the great enemy of the U.S.?" When? That's their question. It, it, you know, it happened in the late seventies. If you remember, the United States, and it was always said that the Shah of Iran was installed as a puppet of the United States. Once I believe that they ousted the Shah of Iran and the Ayatollah took over, mm-hmm. this was like seventy eight, seventy nine. That's when we mm-hmm. started having all this trouble with Iran. Uh-huh. And if you're old enough, if you're old enough to have been trying to get a job in nineteen seventy nine, in the economy and the fallout from the Iranian crisis, you're going to remember how rough it really was in America. That just as by that country's flaring up and taking hostages and threat, threatening the, the waterways that the, the moved oil and stuff like that, that caused major financial crisis in America. And that's how easily it can be done, you know, by political actions. And, and, and that was their intent. Their intent was to disrupt American commerce, you know, to hurt America where they thought it would be worse. And, and what happened is it turned on them. And as a result, we froze a lot of their bank accounts, you know, in the billions of dollars embargoes, trade embargoes, stuff like that. And um, the the Iranian people and their leaders hate America. They hate freedom, and they hate God, and they hate Jesus Christ, and they hate everything we stand for. And to make a deal with them is, is equivalent to making a deal with the devil. Our uh, poster in the chat room has responded. Everybody knows has said anything to do with CIA installing the Shah. Interesting point. What's that? Anything to do with the CIA installing the Shah, referring to the Shah of Iran. Oh, oh, the CIA, yeah, and that's what I believe happened. And they said that for a lot of years, they, they said that the Shah was a puppet of mm-hmm. the CIA mm-hmm. in America. Well, actually, it worked for and until they took over. You know, the religion, the clergy, I, I guess that's what Ayatollah is, the clergy. Yeah, Ayatollah Khomeini. There was an Islamic backlash against the U.S., evidently. Yeah. And um, 
they, you know, and those people absolutely hated the Shah of Iran and they hated the United States and, and they did their worst. They took hostages and they, and they threatened the, I think, or the Straits of Hormuz. I'm not sure, sure there's a, you know, there's a whole area of shipping, you know, with the oil and stuff in that, that particular region. And okay. I, I remember, you know, like that, that was at, in peril. And I think that, um, you know, we still, we still patrol those waterways, and I think that's how we got into the other situation that we're in recently where where Obama uh, supposedly paid for the release of some hostages. I, but I think there was more to it. $400 million and, and help with their nuclear program is not exactly just helping hostages out. I, and it's not supposed to be done under the American creed. Our poster in the chat room has pointed out Iran, North Korea, Cuba, only countries not in IMF. All bankster propaganda. They're not what with the IMF. Mm-hmm. North they're Korea, not. Cuba, Iran not in IMF. And and that means that they're not in, in, into the, the financial. Is what the, what are they make trying to make a point that they they don't. They're not with the International Monetary Fund. Is that is that where I get I'm getting this? Apparently right? so. Apparently that's that's the point they're making, and and then they say all banks are propaganda. And all banks are propaganda. All banks are propaganda. In other words, uh, banking industry making interest uh, propaganda is 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 the second statement being made. Well, you know, the banking industry internationally and in America has a lot of a lot of flaws in it. You know, one thing, you know, that most I find it amusing almost to a point that most Americans think the Federal Reserve is actually a federal agency. Uh I think we both know you know this, right, Rich? The Federal Reserve oh, yeah. is not it's a private corporation to make money. But yet they're allowed to set their interest rates on 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 loans, the prime rate. You know, and this is only benefit. They only do what's in the best interest of the of the Federal Reserve. And uh, there's you know rumors that they're controlled by foreign entities. Well, that was well. going to be my next question: Who owns and controls and benefits the most from the Federal Reserve? Well, you know, I've heard for for decades it's the Rothschilds and, and the Rockefellers. I'm going to say it could be researched. It could be researched. Our our person in the chat room has come back with a couple of more remarks. Look what happened to Libya. Syria didn't want dollars. They want dollars. Didn't want dollars. Look what happened to Libya. Syria didn't want dollars. Oh, so they're they're trying to say that because these people didn't want to participate in a in an economy run by the dollar, that that possibly that that's why there's so much disturbance in those regions right now in America. Um, I guess you know. they're pointing that out as a contributing factor, or, or as part of the overall picture from their perception. Yes, that they confirmed what you said with the yes. Oh, uh, okay. Well, let's look at Lib- Libya. And the Qaddafi was actually a well-run country, and a lot of people have said that he was actually a brilliant leader, a brilliant businessman. And now we we bombed it back into the Stone Ages under Hillary Clinton as Secretary of State, and she's bragging about it. It's a disgrace. Mm-hmm. We've caused a lot of of uh, unrest and instability in Syria, in Libya, in Iraq. And this is the response. This is the response has been ISIS, you know. Uh-huh. And these people are angry, and maybe rightfully so. Look at, you know, think if another stronger country would have bombed your neighborhood into a shell of what it was, and you're pulling. I, I just, you know, you know, it's funny you bring this up. I was just watching a video clip of uh, soldiers rescuing a two-year-old Syrian child from the rubble of a bombed-out building. And then mm-hmm. she had been in rubble for two hours. So she's only like about eight months old. They couldn't believe she was alive still. And the soldiers, yes. the soldiers were actually crying, you know, crying tears, you know, of joy and and just I guess overall, you know, just relief for having added. saved the child that she was still alive. Yes. And that's what you know. America is you know under Obama and Hillary Clinton partly responsible. Or, 
or largely responsible for the instability in these regions now. And now, but all of a sudden, they want to scoop up 100,000 refugees, and uh, we're seeing that this is not working in other parts of the world, you know, in Europe and other countries are having a horrible time with these people wanting their 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 law. What is this? Shahara law? Is that how they? Yeah, the, the Sharia law that they want to enforce uh, on on the uh, the new areas in which they are now guests, and yet they're wanting to bring that to very draconian. Islamic law, which, as you know, the treatment of women is is absolutely deplorable, and in so many things that in Western society are disregarded as perfectly acceptable to them, or a dire sin, punishable by some horrendous thing, anything from a beating to to worse. It, it's Sharia law to me is one of the most outrageous. Can only be compared with our own culture, perhaps to the Spanish Inquisition. I mean, there's nothing else that comes close to it. Yeah, they're backwards. They believe in beheading, stonings. They burn young women for being raped. Uh, you know, uh, it, it it just baffles my mind the way that they marry nine-year-old girls. Uh, the death rate of girls every year that die from... from <laughs> I've just got to tell you what everybody knows had to say in, in the chat room. They just said, if you bombed the shit out of me, I'd hate you too. So, yeah, I, I guess what you said earlier about their... Maybe there's some justified animosity toward America there in, in those countries, perhaps. But. Well, I mean, just, let's just be realistic. If there has been a major no-fly, what they call it, they, they hide it under the guise of what they call a no-fly zone. Uh, that's actually a uh, full-scale aerial assault by the United States military. Uh, I read an interesting article in Time magazine. It was the first full-scale, all-out military Air campaign run by a female general, right here from McDill, you know, uh, McDill Air Force Base, where I used to teach computer science, and uh, it, she was 52, and, and it's the first time a woman has ever led a a full scale air campaign against Libya. And what, what a, a no fly zone act! What the government was telling you in the newspapers was actually a hideous uh, uh, act of of war using aerial devices to bomb and machine gun buildings, civilians, and, and, and I guess terrorists alike. I don't even know exactly who they were bombing over there, you know? And, yeah, if, uh, you know, the person that put, posted that comment, if you were to walk out of your door in Paris, Texas tomorrow and most of your neighborhood had been destroyed by bombs, it, it, would you be a little aggravated, Rich? I think so. I think anybody justifiably would be upset with uh, whoever the, the bombers were. And I want to welcome a caller from Central Illinois. Good evening, Central Illinois. Hello. Hi, Rich. How are you tonight? And Dan. I think it's Dan. Yes, mm-hmm. Dan Patrick is our guest, and we are discussing politics and uh, world events and everything that's going on in, in the world today. All right. It'll take me a little while to get caught up. No problem. If you want to pitch in with a comment or a question, feel free at any time. All right. Well, we're and, uh, yes, go ahead. Well, mm-hmm. if you want to, what we Richard and I were making a point that that it, it would be a, a a tragedy to wake up and walk out in your house and in a country stronger than America had bombed most every part of your neighborhood into rubble, and that's what we've done to Libya. And other parts of the Middle East since the since 9/11, you know, and of course we're going to be hated around the globe for some of these act, actions, um, right or wrong. I don't know who's behind 9/11, you know, or any anything like that, or who 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 we were really going after in Iraq, you know, uh, why we were in Iraq at all, you know, it's questionable to me. You know that Saddam Hussein had anything to do with 9/11, and the justification of going into Iraq and bombing them is weak at best. Uh, what we did to Afghanistan was horrifying. What a lot of Americans don't realize is, is when you're flying modern, America and the United Kingdom through flew sorties for 30 days over Nazi Germany and bombed Germany into submission in 30 days with antique aircraft and bombs. We went over and we flew over Afghanistan with some of the most high-tech aircraft and bombing equipment 
known to man and flattened. Like I, I saw satellite pictures of before and after, and, you know, you could see mountainous ranges and, and other, you know, hilliest terrain had been lowered, you know, literally lowered. It was e- easily seen by the eye, you know, the naked eye from satellite pictures within, you know, just, a, I guess, a few days. And I think we, we, we flew hundreds of sorties over, over Afghanistan. And we left a million and a half, I think, people starving at the Pakistan border, homeless, and with, with just their belongings on their back, freezing to death and, and starving to death. Well, and you know what, Dan, with technology as it now exists, anybody, anywhere, can be tracked any time. I, I think you may recall the Will Smith movie, Enemy of the State. The technology is in place now uh, where a drone could be sent to anywhere, you know, whether, whether it's for strategical assassination of some foreign uh, enemy world leader or whatever the case may be. In other words, the surgical strikes that our technology now enables, downright frightening the accuracy that our technology has reached, you know, between GPS and satellites and what have you. Yeah, and it's all in place. And, you know, and it's just getting stronger and better all at all times. Uh, you know, whether or not it's a good, I mean, it saves lives. It saves American lives. It makes dangerous missions easier. Um, you know, I think the thing I'm, I'm concerned about is the all-out airstrikes that America's been participating in in, in a, the, almost the entire part of the first part of the 21st century, and it's creating... Uh, uh, a lot of of instability in the Middle East, and you know, and you're going you're getting sprung up groups like ISIS are coming along, and and now the refugees want to come in, and and we can't vet everybody that needs to come in, you know, that's that's clean, so to speak, that's not anti-American, doesn't want to come here and enforce their crazy laws for the Quran or whatever you want to call it, you know, we don't know. Donald Trump's right. He, he's saying he, he doesn't want to forbid people. He wants to have a better vetting process in place. And this is getting twisted by the liberal meeting as Donald Trump saying he doesn't want any illegal immigrants. He even knows that people that are like victims of war, you know. Dan, Dan are you seeing these refugees down there in Florida? Have some of them come to Florida? Well, I, I understand that they've snuck some into Florida. They're They're forbidden by law. We're telling you how many, who, what, and where. Right. Yeah. So you would primarily only have anecdotal evidence, not anything necessarily in print, because it's not going to appear in print, I guess. No, but but it has appeared in print that they have snuck people into uh, into America and, and in Florida and and several other states in the United States. Uh, maybe as many as thirty or forty states, maybe more. And I know those are. Definitely have been some here in Texas. I'm aware of some within 100 miles from here. I don't know how many, but I'm I'm aware that there were some, and I did get some press. Uh, Terry, have there been some refugees there in central Illinois? Not that I know of. No, I'm in Cornland, and uh, they would they would stick out like sore thumbs. And, uh, <laughs> I've, I've, now it could be, of course, I'm in a, a small rural area. Uh, you know, a, a farming communities all around me and uh, now they may be you know in the bigger cities and 50 miles north we've got the university of illinois and uh, of course that's you know uh, that's a melting pot there uh but i couldn't tell you how many you know uh you know of i don't know what you call it you know arab descent or whatever muslim or whatever are there i'm sure there are some but uh no just you don't see any around here at all. Uh, I maybe have seen one or two, and but my guess is when I see them in the stores, they are college students. You know, Terry, something that, that's very close to your neck of the woods that has come up in the presidential debates and a lot, uh, obviously, during the election, and that's the level of violence in Chicago. We've talked about it in past shows. There's some unbelievable number of homicides already this year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We Down here, see, uh, that Chicago is about three or, I don't know, three or four miles north, uh, three or four miles, three or four hours north of me. So we're, uh-huh. you know, we're in the rural, rural area, and uh, 
but yeah, uh, I think I heard they were, I don't know, something like 500 shootings so far this year in Chicago. Yeah, that's the number I had heard, yeah. Yeah, but it's, I think it's mostly blacks killing blacks. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we down here we refer to Chicago as Chirac. Yeah, yeah, and I've heard <laughs> and that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go up there for anything. I have no desire to go to Chicago. None. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, Baltimore's had a lot, uh, a couple bloody years too. They're right behind Chicago right now. And oh yeah. The, yeah. The ironic thing is your larger cities, your larger cities do. You know, and it's it's odd that the Black Lives Movement's not concerned about black on black crime. It's like shoot shoot all you want, but the second an officer of the law, black or white, shoots a black suspect of a crime, all of a sudden there's ambushes and riots and burnings and stuff like that. And I'm I'm starting to understand. I can't understand that. I don't understand that logic. Why aren't you concerned about the people back in the hood? And if I'm not mistaken, Barack Obama was a Chicago uh, activist, social activist, while he taught at the law school of uh, Illinois. And and he was a professor there. And with Bill Ayers, uh, a former radical, that uh, was uh, responsible for blowing up buildings. And, and he actually, him and his, his girlfriend, his best friend, actually lost their lives building bombs to blow up uh, police headquarters and that kind of thing in Chicago. And now Bill Ayers sits in uh, as an advisor to Barack Obama. And they supposedly have done, did what their big claim to fame was, is the uh, revamp the inner city school systems there. And now, you know, Barack Obama becomes president and he just abandoned Chicago. He doesn't care. doesn't go back there much. And we have this horrible situation with people shooting each other every day. I'm, I'm sure you're going to find out there's probably people shot every day dead. If you oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure. In their, I guess you would call neighborhoods or, you know, uh, but just 50 miles north of me is Champaign, Illinois. And like I said, that's where the University of Illinois is. And they're starting right. to see an increase also. They're having at least one or two shootings every weekend and it five six seven years ago that just didn't happen they just had uh some shootings there at the uh uh i think believe one man was killed uh right off campus uh on the university of illinois so it's it's becoming a problem everywhere and it's a disgrace that a senator from Chicago, man who started off his political career as a state senator from Illinois and in Chicago is now president, sitting president, is continuing to allow this to happen without any any help or, you know, uh, money being, as far as I know, there's no monies being put in to the city of Chicago for extra policing. Uh, well, I just, read an, I just read an article the other day that said that they're just getting ready to hire something like 970 police officers. And but they don't know where they're going to be able to get the money for the police cars and the equipment. I would because Illinois is broke. You know, talk about your executive action. I think some sort of special executive order could be issued to set some federal funds in there to straighten things out in Chicago. You'd think, anyway. You would think. I mean, he's fond of executive orders. We know that. Um, but he he's actually turned his back on on the on the place that gave him the start in politics, and you know that kind of goes shows where his loyalty lies. And and he's for Black Lives Matter. He, he feels that the police are racist, and uh, but yet they don't talk about the black on black crime that takes place every day, one neighbor against another. And I, I don't understand that. I'm sorry, that logic fails to. To appeal to me, I don't understand it whatsoever. Well, I think it's pretty obvious if, if you look at, at the uh, the political agenda, uh, and, and you take uh, the different people that are in play and involved. It doesn't fit the the agenda. In other words, it's not something that that they want to admit. Uh, you know, even though the statistics are there and it's obvious, it doesn't fit with the uh, direction that. Well. Mm-hmm. One of the things you're going to find Well, I think, I'm sorry, but 
I think Chicago is eventually going to end up. Was it Detroit that uh, just a few years ago that uh, filed for bankruptcy? Uh-huh. I think I that that's what that's trouble, where yeah. Chicago is is headed. I really do. I where agree. It, basically, you know, Detroit used to be something years and years ago, and now it's apparently just not much. And I'm looking for Chicago is going to go that way too. It's sad. It's very, very sad. Because by all accounts, it is a beautiful, beautiful city. I've been there a couple of times, but that was years and years ago. And like I said, I have no desire to go there now. And when you visit, I'm from Baltimore, Washington area. And I know it well. I was born in Washington, D.C., right in the city. And what you have are, you have a population of people that for whatever reason, they're hostile to authorities. And in Washington, D.C., is considered a national disgrace. You have what is known as people that are lifetime institutionalized human beings. So what that means is that they, they usually are, are born to unwed mothers. They end up in orphanages. And they graduate from orphanages to the streets and from the streets into juvenile detention centers. And then from the juvenile detention centers into the main penitentiaries like Lorton and other places outside the District of Columbia and the federal government. Now, these people are born into a culture that is anti-authority. They don't like the police. They don't like the police whether they're black. They don't like the police whether they're Hispanic. They don't like the police whether they're white. And when, you know, um, there's a... um, a man who is a radio celebrity named James T. Harris, who's black. I absolutely recommend listening to what he has to say to the black community and to Barack Obama personally. You know, that, that uh, you know he was saying that when he was growing up, he was taught that when a police officer said, stop, you stop. When a police officer said, put your hands in the air, you put your hands in the air because you just might get shot. And he said when you we were taught as children to respect that, and here, therefore, we never got shot. And if we yeah. did get hassled yeah. by a police officer, it was yes, sir, no, sir. He says, but when you become disrespectful, you start to run or you go for a weapon and you end up dead, that's what you deserve. And this is coming from a black African-American male, you know, and, uh, I, you know, I can't say enough about what James T. Harris has to say. I think everybody should, should go visit his Facebook page and listen to some of his uh videos. He's a very wise person. And uh, this is a problem. You know, if you have anti-authority people that have grown up in an institutionalized world of jails, mm-hmm. orphanages, and penitentiaries, and they're hostile, and they're not just hostile, let's just make a point very clear. Black Lives Matters, uh, they're not just hostile towards white police officers. They're, they're angry at black police officers. They're angry at Hispanic police officers. Rich, if I'm not mistaken, in Dallas, weren't there some Hispanic police officers uh, murdered in, in that ambush, or or am I wrong? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Yeah, but I think they, uh, probably I would I would have to, to go back and, and look at their faces again to be sure, yeah. but very likely. And I think it was across the board. White, black, and Hispanic police officers were ambushed and killed. What, uh-huh. What's the point? What are you trying to say? Is it, Are you trying to say that that if I'm in the hood and I kill my neighbor, that's okay. But if a police officer shoots a, a, a fleeing felon who is is been he gets on a he gets he gets in his squad car and on his computer in his squad car he runs the person and says considered armed and dangerous. Now as a police officer your life's on the line. That person doesn't cooperate or makes any kind of suspicious moves to his body, other parts of his body, his pockets, the inside of his jacket or whatever, you're trying to shoot to kill because it's, because at that point it becomes you or him. Because in the police officer's mind, there's no reason for you not to obey the command stop. There's no reason for you to not obey the command, put your hands on the car and turn, turn around and put your hands on the car. There's no well, reason. You're tapping into the environment in which you were raised and in the way you're taught. You're either taught respect for authority or contempt for it. And, and you've already alluded to the, to the different people in our society who, for one reason or another, be it valid personal experience or just what they've been taught, have contempt for it. Right. And, you know, and that's a personal choice. And if you mm-hmm. want to have contempt for authority, 
and you do the things that you do when you're commanded by authority, uh, then the things that happen happen. You know, I, I I know that there are some rogue police officers out there. I mean, there was a, a guy, I think, in South Carolina, and, and they rightfully prosecuted him. You know, he took him off the streets as a police officer and tried him for murder. You know, he shot an unarmed black man. But I think the majority of police officers are trying to do their job. And, you know, we're in a day and age where even when I get pulled over for a traffic ticket, the police, I could tell the police officer is nervous. You know, they ask me what I do for a living. I tell them, professor, that lightens the load a whole lot right there. I always Mm -hmm. turn the car off. I put my hands on the top of the steering wheel. Even if it's a stupid thing like running, doing a rolling stop on a on a red a red traffic sign or having uh-huh. a light out in the car, I know the police officer's not going to hurt me if he's not afraid. You know, and you can smell the fear in most police officers as they as they approach the window of a car. I, in order to alleviate that, I put my hands where he can see them. I turn the vehicle off. So he knows I'm not going to step on the gas while his head's in the car speaking to me or looking around because I have nothing to fear by the authority. You know, I don't have anything I'm hiding. And so as a result, I give the police officer that measure of respect so he'll feel comfortable and give me whatever instructions he wants to give me. And and then as a in many cases resulted perhaps in you getting a warning instead of an actual ticket. You know, I'm not saying it did, but, it, you know, it, it could have. You know, there's a lot of little things go a long way in showing respect for authority. There's exactly one thing that, one thought. comment I'd like to make. Uh, mm-hmm. About six months ago, I had the opportunity to speak with a young black man that's going to school down here at Charleston, Illinois, at Eastern Illinois University. Mm-hmm. And I uh, got to talk to him uh, in depth, and he came from, of course, you know, the bad side of Chicago and is down here on a, a MAP grant, uh, which is, I think, basically, you know, they pay for their tuition and, and everything. Uh, a very nice young man. And he mm-hmm. said that in he's 27 years old, and he said that he has never, ever seen his neighborhood or the neighborhoods like they are now. He said that, you know, there's 12, 13-year-old kids that will walk up and kill you for no reason at all. And he said a lot of it is gangs, a lot of it is not. And he said that, you know, he's grown up in those neighborhoods all of his life, and he says he's never seen anything like it, and he knew that he had to get out. He has to get out. He can't take it, of course, is his only opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. This is a problem in all of our major cities, right, inner cities right now. And here again, you know, this could be traced back to the, 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 the Democratic Party in itself. Uh, you know, they create the Civil Rights Act, and then LBJ felt that by giving the inner city blacks welfare instead of opportunities, they could control that particular part of the population. The government would be able to control that particular part of the population. And, well, if uh, I'm not mistaken, at a, at a certain point in relatively recent history, both Gary, Gary, Indiana, and Detroit, Michigan were just nearly on, on the verge of anarchy. I mean, it was that bad. And I can see it getting that bad in Chicago. And, you know, human life doesn't mean anything to those people. You know, they got nothing to lose, but what are they going to do? They're going to go back to the institution. And I think that's one of the reasons why I brought that up. And uh, Washington, D.C. isn't alone in, in having a entire population that grows up from 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 day one to day to end, end days in, in one institution or another. So you're 12 or 13, you're fresh out of juvenile detention center. If you commit an armed robbery, where are they going to send you? You're going to send you back home, right? You know, you know, if you shoot somebody, well, they might send you back home for a little bit longer until you're 18. I still think that's the law of the country, if I'm not mistaken, unless you try it as an adult. If you shoot somebody at 12 or 13 in, in Chicago or D.C., the, the law says you have to be released for the juvenile detention center uh, and when you're 18. A lot more of that, more of that happens than you would ever suspect. 
I bet if you dug into statistics, you would see that a lot of murderers are left out of juvenile detention uh, facilities at the age of 18. Some of them are tried as adults, but usually those are high-profile murders, murders of law-abiding people. And, you know, once they, they cross that line, they shoot somebody that's what the authorities consider a law-abiding, productive citizen, et cetera, et cetera, and not another criminal, then these people may be tried as adults and sent to an adult reformatory for, for many years to come. But the way I think it works now is if you're a 13-year-old punk and you, you're, you've got your corner selling your, your crack cocaine or whatever dopey or whatever that you're selling on the creek corner and some guy encroaches on that and you shoot him, to get rid of the competition dead that you go to juvie. To, and if you're 16, you go to juvie for two years. But you're used to that. You you grew up in, a, in an, an orphanage. You got out for a little while, and then you went to juvie. You got out for a little while, you went back to juvie. Now you're just, you're just going to spend some time there until you're 18, and then you're going to get out, and eventually you're going to screw up and either get shot yourself or you're going to end up in an adult prison. Yeah, I think that's yeah, the, the, the young the, the young black man that I was speaking with. He said that you know at 27 years of age in Chicago he couldn't find a job, and he had a good record and everything. Uh, but he said that uh, you know he couldn't even get a job at you know the of course there's hundreds of McDonald's up there couldn't even get a job up there at McDonald's. But when he came down here uh, to start his schooling. He put his application in, and he said that he was hired right away. And he said that the day that he was hired, he cried because he had a job. You know, and, know. and he I said up there, there's nothing, there's nothing else to do except sell drugs or be in gangs. He said that's all there is for the young black men. And that's a national disgrace. You know, instead of spending all these trillions of dollars on wars in the Middle East. Why aren't we spending? Oh yeah, I don't support war at all. I don't support war at all. And there will never be an end to war until we stop glorifying it. And our country is glorifying it all over the place. Now every soldier is a hero. Now every soldier is a hero. As long as you. And it's like you know, they're putting their life on the line and the whole bit and everything. They come back. They can't even get VA benefits. They can't be seen by doctors if something is wrong with them, something happens to them. And I don't understand why they keep going. Why do you still sign up? Well, at the same time that that's going on, you have your upper 1% people who hold and control all of the munitions plants who profit from war. It happened during Vietnam, Dick Cheney with Halliburton profited during the first uh, war in Iraq. War is a money-making thing for the people who manufacture the, the weapons and ammunition. There, there are certain vested interests that benefit from wars. Oh, I know. Sometimes when, they're spending, when they're spending something like $100 million a day on the war, there's a lot of ways to skim off that. A lot of ways. You know, everybody's, I'm sure, you know, any monies the government has that goes to war, I'm sure there's lots and lots of people with their hands in the pot. Oh, you know. But it ain't us. Right. (laughs) It ain't us. Right. So I I just saw a movie, War War Dogs, uh, about a month ago up in Nebraska, about two young men that profiteered off of the Iraq War by filling up... uh, Department of Defense request for uh, proposals on ammunition and weapons. They weren't even 30 yet, and they made like I think 300 million dollars until they got caught uh, selling illegal Chinese uh, ammunition to the United States government because we have an embargo. Against. The only thing that that really stunned them was that we have an embargo against China and selling, you know, buying arms or anything from them like that. And, what they did is they 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 got hoodwinked by uh, a man who was on the uh, international terrorist list into buying a whole a whole warehouse full of of uh, bullets out of a a warehouse in Albania of all places. And it after they 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 put their bid in with the United States government and they were the low bidder and and they 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 got a thirty million dollar deal. They went and bought the ammunition only to find out 
that what they had been shown as examples were were clean clean uh, munitions, and, and what they actually bought were Chinese munitions, and they tried to sneak them in the United States by repackaging them anyway, and they got caught. And, and uh, one guy got five years in, uh, in, in a federal prison, and the other young man got the house arrest for seven months. But the, the, the movie goes to show that how it explains at the beginning of the movie, it's, narr- it's a narrated-type movie, where the, the uh, one man that went away for five years explained that war is profitable. And he figured out a way to profit at about 26 years of age on, on the Iraq war. And in a big, major way, until he screwed up. Speaking of profit, And the one thing about it, the one thing about it, too, that I feel that those people over there, those countries over there, all of them, have been fighting for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, they still have a Stone Age mentality. You know, Qaddafi was. And a they're never going to change. They're oh. never going to change ever. No, the way they change it if they were Westernized, and that won't happen as long as Islam no. is in place. No. In, no. Well, makes, uh, over in, in a lot of those countries, the women still can't drive. Exactly. In a lot of those countries, the, the women are having their genitalia cut off. See the, the Sharia law, the, the outrageous, insane. And, you know, it's like that's, that's like, I don't know what you would call it, but that's just... It's barbaric, and then it's one thing yeah, you call it. it. It's, it's barbaric, but it's also, it's like medieval times. Exactly. Beyond mid- medieval times, I and, guess they want to be back by the uh, back about the time of Christ, if you believe in that. No, that's where they're at, and why you would want a culture so backwards uh, into the United States in large numbers, and then take our tax money and give them benefits and food stamps and and housing on the American public is beyond. My comprehension. It's a, a level of insanity I don't understand. You know, we, do, we don't really need them here. You know, well, uh, well, uh, my under my understanding is that it's it takes up to about two years to come into this country legally. It should, it should right. That's right. The vetting process should take about two years, but but the Obama administration and Hillary Clinton to extend that. Um, wants to bring people in as quickly as possible because they're labeling them war refugees. Uh, here's the thing is we're seeing that they're trying to set up this Jahara law, right? But the war refugees in Syria were supposed to be Christians that were being prosecuted by the, the Islamic ISIS. You know, uh, I subscribe to a uh, mail, uh, you know, U.S. Postal Mail uh, organization called uh, Voices of the Martyrs, and they were talking about how people that believe in Christ are being beheaded if they don't refuse to renounce Christ and, and give their uh, praise to Allah. And yeah, the that's right there in the Quran. That's part of their religion. There. And, to, to and how Quran. many people, how many millions, maybe billions of people through millennia have been killed in the name of religion? Yes. One kind or another, exactly, exactly. It's to me a sheer stupidity. It's just sheer yeah. stupidity. Well, I hope when they, uh, people wake up to the uh, barbarity of that sort of thing, the uh, intolerance of man, mankind to, to man, the intolerance of man towards other men. We are well, looking, man, as far as I'm concerned, we are looking at nuclear war. North Korea. Look at North Korea now. They've got that nut over there, Kim Jong Hong, or whatever his name is. Yeah, we got oh, him no. trying to develop, you know, long-range missiles from so China and Russia. is pushing it also. Uh, you yes. If if the, if if North Korea, China, Japan, and Russia all get together against us, we're 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 gone. We're doomed. I mean, that probably won't happen, but, you know, because Russia... No, it probably won't. I'm saying if they did. Yeah, in your I mind. I do, however, think we, do, we hover on the, the, the uh, edge or on the verge of World War III. I, I do agree with that, absolutely. I'm more concerned about the Iranians 
having nuclear power than any of the above. I mean, these people are, are fanatics. They've proven it over just the last 50 years. They've proven how bad they can behave. And they give, and their, their bitter, venomous hatred of Israel, who are big allies of the United States, that uh, they they have said that they will their their intention is to wipe Israel off the face of the planet. Well, they've got the tools, or we're helping them get the tools to do just that, and they're not all that far, so they don't have to develop that big of a, a missile to go over to Israel or a dirty bomb or any of those things. That's my biggest, you know, another big fear is a dirty bomb is an easy thing to bring into a stadium full of people. Let it go, and and then all these people all of a sudden have radiation poison. You know, yeah, we're on the verge. We're, 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 you know, it's not a good time in the world. And I think well, prayer is the only only the answer to that at this point. Well, and let's hope that the election in November, that whoever we get in there, that, that things will change for the positive. I do. I hope. And that makes me glad to be in America. It makes me glad to be here in Tampa Bay, Florida, where there's nobody throwing bombs, rocks, missiles, guns, or anything at me. I'm happy tonight. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. Like I said, I'm in Central Illinois in corn country, and we're very, very safe here. There's nothing here <laughs> except corn. Yeah, well, got the <laughs> yeah, we, we uh, come to the end of our show, Dan Patrick. I want to thank you for being here tonight. Uh, Terry from Central Illinois. I want to thank you for calling in, and I want to wish everybody a fantastic weekend. Always a pleasure, Rich. Good night, everyone. Good, Good night. night. Thank you. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.